Support for the Daycast comes from Day Translations. Go global with access to the industry's top translators, interpreters, localization engineers, language and transcreation specialists to take you and your business global. For a free quote on translation services, visit daytranslations.com and enter the promo code DAYCAST for a 5% discount on all language services. Day Translations. Go global. Support for the Daycast comes from Day Interpreting. The instant, real-time, mobile app interpreting solution that connects you to live human language interpreters quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. No contracts, no waiting, no hassle. Now available for all iOS and Android devices. Day Interpreting. Connect with the world. See dayinterpreting.com to set up your free account today. From daytranslations.com, this is the Daycast. I'm Diego Mejia. Today's topic the podcast for the tourism industry, and what is linguistic coding. For today's episode, we've got Nemanja Protik, Day Translation's project manager on the show, recorded live from my remote studio in Bogota, Colombia, and connected all the way with Novi Sad, Serbia, via Zoom on July 10th, 2020. This is the 11th episode of the Daycast. Thank you for listening. Welcome again to the Daycast, your podcast about languages, culture, and international business. Today, we're going to take a look at an industry deeply associated with culture and languages, an industry that in the past few months may have taken a beating, the tourism and hospitality industry. Uh, We're joined today by Nemanja Protik, one of our project managers. Nemanja, I'm really excited to have you here uh, to hear you speak about this topic since you have experience in the tourism industry. Uh, Why don't we start off by, uh, you know, you telling us a little bit about the background that you have before you joined Day Translations. Hi, Diego. It's a real pleasure talking to you today. Uh, I come from Novi Sad, Serbia. I have a master's degree in tourism and I have worked for, um, I think, over 10 years in tourism and sports industries. Uh, I have done many campaign, campaigns uh, about tourism and sports. Uh, I worked at tourist organizations in Novi Sad where we made, organized many events. I also organized uh, beach handball tournaments, also Alpe Adria Cup uh, jet ski race, and one of the big events I uh, I organized was Women's World Handball Championship in 2014. And nice. now, and now I'm part of this great community at Day Translations. Oh, very good, very good. So I bet you're kind of happy that right now you're not part of the tourism industry. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet. Yeah. So you know. Um, Obviously, it's been affected by everything that's happening. And, and, you know, speaking specifically about the tourism industry, uh, a lot of different businesses have been affected by the quarantine, uh, the global quarantines that have been put in place. Um, Some countries have had more than one quarantine. I know that where I live, we're about to be put uh, in a strict lockdown once again. And obviously, um, this has to do with, uh, you know, there are travel restrictions that are obviously in place because they don't want people to, you know, move around in different countries and maybe infect other people and things of this nature. So obviously that kind of, uh, that, that's a big problem and it affects businesses that are in the tourism industry. So not just big hotels, uh, small gift shop owners, Airbnb hosts, tour guides, travel app developers, all of these people, all these businesses have been affected. Uh, you know, according to the United Nations World Tourism Organization, global international tourist arrivals might decrease by 20 to 30% in 2020, leading to a potential loss of between 30 and 50 billion dollars. Yeah, you're completely correct, Diego. Uh, there are a large number of 
industries that are depending on tourism activity and one of the essentials for tourism is actually requirement to move and travel and with quarantine restrictions that's not possible to happen uh, some countries have just started to loosen up the measures and allowed some travel but then again some countries are putting in restrictions again and for example in EU the restrictions have been partially lifted from July 1st but it's uh, monitored uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis uh, what some countries have done or try to do is to create travel bubbles or mm, safe corridors for tourists to travel uh, for example New Zealand and Australia have done this Estonia Latvia Lithuania have opened their borders for citizens of these three countries so people are trying to find ways countries are trying to find ways how to uh, activate again tourism but it's it's all on a it's still we're still searching for the results and how to move it in the right direction sure yeah another measure that's being considered to promote tourism i've read is uh in the near future is the immunity passport or this uh, risk-free certificate and so that's like the detection of antibodies uh, to the virus that causes the COVID-19. If you have them, then you, you can get one of these immunity passports or risk-free certificates. But there are several problems with this measure uh, because the fact that not every country has the same accessibility or ways to get access to, to these tests. So there's no real evidence that people who have recovered from COVID-19 have the antibodies and are protected from a second infection. Um, also, uh, considering this, uh, since uh, infections and, and well, this virus is going to mutate, uh, because that's what viruses do, then yeah. uh, you, know, you might have antibodies for a previous version of a virus and then maybe a, a more genetically advanced or more potent virus could get you in the future that might be in a different location. I know that, well, you're in Serbia, I'm in Colombia, uh, the strands of the virus that are present in uh, Eastern Europe very likely different to the ones that are present in South America. So, you know, these immunity passports and all these things, uh, uh, not, not so sure that will work, but hopefully they would uh, because, you know, people's businesses are, are being affected and people need to, to earn their income with, with their tourism. And so, um, you know, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the future of tourism after the pandemic, whenever that is, two or three years from now or, or whenever this whole thing kind of is finished. Yeah, well, the unfortunate thing is that there is so many unknown factors about COVID-19. And as you said, there are mutations that are going to happen. And But from what I see and hear, the medical experts are making great progress. So I'm sure we will find a cure for this. And I'm hoping for sooner than later. But in the meantime, all of the industries will have to adopt this new situation. And after the pandemic, uh, uh, passes, uh, we will have, they will have to create new approaches how to attract uh, the clients and one of the important factors will be how to make them feel safe, how they will be safe uh, with using their services. But it's in a new human nature to move and explore and people will want to start traveling again as soon as it's, uh, it's done. So. Uh, I believe it will have to be a cooperative uh, relationship between tourists and tourism providers and 
half of the summer season has already gone in the northern hemisphere, so it's a difficult time for tourists for tourism and all related industries. But I'm sure it will bounce. Uh, in relation to future development, from what I think will happen is that augmented really reality will have a significant place in the destinations. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> that that uh, that sounds pretty interesting. And especially yeah, so in the in the destinations where it's some cultural aspects, uh, city break destinations. So I'm sure that it that will be present in a large amount soon. Yeah, I I mean I'd like to predict that um, a lot of people don't really like to stay in the house, and obviously we're we're in the house because the government wants us to be in the house. Obviously because it's the right thing to do and it's the responsible thing to do. Yeah. But yeah. after being locked in the house, you know, some people continue to work, uh, allows them to save some money, and maybe when they open up the borders again, people will will I think tourism will bounce back. I think it's gonna I think it's gonna come back uh, pretty strong. Uh, yeah, once yeah. people feel uh, confident that they can do it, or once they're like, "Hey, you know what? We have to live with this, um, and there's no other choice. Let's live our lives anyway." You know, because yeah, being locked yeah. inside your house is not really a way to live your life. <laughs> so I think people are gonna. I think people are gonna want to go out and explore. Yeah, well, you know, that's a part of <laughs> that's a part of cooperation uh, between tourists and tourist uh, providers. They will have yeah. to find a way to how to work together. Sure. And so, you know, uh, talking about this and in reference to, you know, language needs within the tourism industry, uh, what kind of uh, linguistic services do you think companies from this sector uh, will request or do they usually request uh, once, these, uh, once this whole thing finishes? Well, uh, one of the nicknames for tourism is actually smile industry, as the main goal is to provide positive experience to all of the tourists. And... Uh, this has a potential that very small things can have a huge impact on overall experience uh, in the tourism. So there is a whole uh, range of services that tourist organizations are and it's all related to adopting the content easily understood by consumers. That all of the translations have to be marketing oriented and they have to meet specific image of the destination, but also they need to have to meet the expectation of the consumers, so of the target audience. So this is involving uh, transcreation. Uh, additionally to this, uh, there are also guided tours which have to be done in language that uh, tourists can understand. So. And so it involves interpretation as well. Uh, one also additional service that can be uh, that is requested for translation is that the uh, uh, destinations are organizing tours without the tour guides, actually creating the audio content of the destination where tourists can download the content, the audio on their, for example, on their phone. So they can play it in their own pace and walk around the city and have the guided tour of the destination. Nice. Uh, but besides that, one uh, additional service that we're providing and that is being requested by tourist uh, organization and tourist providers is uh, linguistic coding, which is basically 
uh, tool of market survey, uh, which provides uh, all the necessary information for further development of the, the service or the destination. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a whole range of language services uh, needed within the tourism industry, uh, such as you mentioned, interpreting for tour guides, science translation, sightseeing. Uh, sorry, science translation for sightseeing, localization of tourism websites. Uh, you you mentioned linguistic coding, which we'll get into uh, a little bit more detail uh, later on. Uh, some require not only native translators but also marketers, especially when it comes to sales collateral like flyers or landing pages showcasing the benefits of staying in a certain hotel or traveling to a specific country or city. Um, Limanja, is there something unique about translators and interpreters working with tourism? Is there a special skill or knowledge required to be a linguist in tourism, or can any translator do this kind of work? It's not so easy to explain, but uh, in tourism, uh, when creating a content which has to be marketing, uh, orientated the content need to reflect both the image of the destination but also needs to uh, meet the expectation of the target audience and this means that knowledge of marketing and all of the preferences of the audience is required it's difficult to generalize but witty and and text or writing interpreting with the soul eh, or in the spirit of the audience is required yeah, that's where the that's where the creative copy comes in, and where uh, you know transcreation specialists need to be uh, sourced, so that way that that kind of thing get done. And there's a there's a fascinating paper from the Translation Journal where 150 translated tourism texts were evaluated. Uh, the texts were translated from English to Ukraine to Ukrainian and Russian. The professionals carrying out the investigation found several mistranslations that occurred mainly because of the lack of linguistic equivalence. So, for instance, the word windsurfing was translated as surfing, and both diving and snorkeling were translated into swimming. So these are grave mistakes of mistranslation. Some minor mistakes that are under the category of non-translation included translating all sorts of water sports like surfing, windsurfing, water skiing into just water sports. Uh, so that's obviously not right. And that's very misleading and obviously counts as a mistranslation because tourists that are looking to do windsurfing want to stay at hotels that offer you know, the windsurfing equipment, uh, not surfing equipment because it's two completely different things. Yes. Um, however, if the hotel's flyer says that they offer water sports equipment, that could potentially include windsurfing. So it's, uh, it's misleading for, uh, for the tourists. Yes, but uh, they could, there could be two sides of the metal here. Uh, as you said, these languages don't have a suitable equivalent to these terms, and there is always potential to transcribe them in their original form. But it could be that the marketing team, having surveyed the habits and needs of these markets, have possibly decided that this is the right way to go, as maybe if they went into too much details about these services, it could have potentially uh, uh, seemed too focused on on these and could uh, turn off some some percentage of tourists. So that's why market research and understanding of market is important. And yeah. coding can be right tool for that. Okay, I, I like how we segue into linguistic coding. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I would love to learn about it. 
Uh, let's talk about linguistic coding. This is a relatively new service that we're offering here at Day Translations. And I know that you particularly have a lot of experience with this, obviously. Uh, so maybe you can help our audience and myself understand what this is, how it can help the tourism industry uh, specifically, and if it can be applied to any other industry, uh, actually. Yeah, well, linguistic coding uh, is not only beneficial for tourism industries, it's beneficial for any multilingual survey. And uh, for development process, uh, the most important thing you can have is uh, data from where you can draw conclusions. And quantifiable data has a benefit to be compared. Uh, if we take a look at close-ended questions, the benefit is that if the surveyor doesn't know the language, so if the survey is just translated, if they have a key, they can uh, analyze the survey and get the results. But the, on the flop, flip side, the close-ended questions are very, very limited in scope by the questions that are being asked and which answers are offered in the survey. On the other hand, open-ended questions provide much more freedom in replies, and as such, people are able to pro provide uh, much more details, and they can express their feelings, which is very beneficial for quality. Uh, but the problem with quality data that is handling quality uh, is that it is difficult to compare and quantify. And if it's done in another language, then it's very almost impossible to analyze. So with the linguistic coding, uh, what it does is, to pro is provide analysis of the qualities that are mentioned in the replies. And after the coding is done, simple statistical analysis provide how some of the replies are, uh, how much some replies are present in the answers. This can uh, show which areas need to be improved, which are lacking, what is positive, what can be uh, exaggerated, uh, uh, taken for as a marketing uh, plus that we can use in our uh, in our future market. So. Uh, when I'm speaking of, of the qualities that are mentioned in the answers, the thing is that uh, people are expressing their, themselves in different ways. So there are many uh, ways you can say something is good or something is bad. And uh, linguistic coding analyzes what, all of these answers and provide clear uh, uh, clear keys, what are those uh, answers referring to. Let, uh, let me give an example. Let's say the hotel uh, is making analysis of their hotel and they have open-ended questions and one of the replies is, accommodation is great, the hotel is clean, but they really don't like lines for a buffet. Uh, yeah. What can be seen here is that this answer have three specific qualities within it. Uh, accommodation is great, uh, that's one. one is hotel is clean, and the third one is alliance for a buffet. Uh, when doing the coding, what we could do is uh, take the quality of accommodation is great, and for, ex for example, assign it the code one plus. And for the hotel is clean, we say that is the quality B plus. And for lines in a buffet, it's three minus. 
So if, for okay. example, if we have accommodation is bad or rooms are not good or I don't like the accommodation, we can say take a different code and put it as uh, one minus, for example. Uh, now, by going through all of the answers within the survey, we take all the answers that are mentioning these qualities and assigning them the same codes. So whatever the wording can be, accommodation great, I like the rooms, the rooms are awesome, hotel, hotel is the best in the world. So all of these qualities would get code one plus. It means that by simple, uh, simply looking at the number and how frequent these answers are, we know if our hotel is good, they have good rooms or the cleaning is good. So that is simple way of explaining what linguistic coding is. There are okay. two, two types of linguistic coding, one with the key, predefined key, where the key client can uh, define what specific areas they're interested in exploring. So all of these qualities, answers that are mentioning these qualities will have predefined codes or uh, every quality or without the key where every quality mentioned in the answer can be, uh, will be uh, assigned a special code. Uh, just to explain that there is a, there is also an option that uh, we, all of the answers within the survey can be translated in a different language. But there is a, a bit of a risk to that uh, strategy as people using different languages use different ways of expressing. And uh, with that fine detail present in the language and how something is said in one language, that can be lost in a uh, translation process. We, sure. It doesn't matter how accurate we try to be, but that little tiny things present in a language, and that could potentially lead to false results. That's why uh, linguistic coding is beneficial rather than translating of such content. I understand. Yeah, so this is a service that uh, could be particularly valuable to those businesses within the tourism and the hospitality industry. Because they rely, so, uh, they rely so much on the reviews that they get from their customers, but also any other business that's working with international clients and they want to understand um, the kind of data that they're getting back and a way for them to quantify it in such a way that they can understand it in their, in their native language. So that's pretty important. Uh, the research shows that loyal customers are worth up to 10 times as much as their first purchase. So understanding what your clients want and what they think about your brand is a key factor to your success. And you know, if, if a business is expanded abroad and they want to get a feedback of what their clients think, it seems like linguistic coding really is a way to uh, uh, part of the redundancy, codify and quantify what, uh, what their users and what their customers are feeling. So many times businesses are so heavily focused on acquiring new customers that they forget about the value of their existing customers and what, and what they can bring. So you can learn more about linguistic coding by visiting our website, daytranslations.com. Uh, we offer this service in more than 100 languages, so you can rest assured we've got you covered. So, Nemanja, I, I want to end this episode on a very positive note for those within the tourism industry, and I would like to go over some of the trends that are shaping how, travel, uh, shaping how we travel long-term. Uh, let's see how the tourism industry will look like 10 years from now. 
Absolutely. Well, I think the two main words that describe how tourism will change in the future are environment and accessibility. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, travelers are uh, looking for a cheap ways to explore the world and from my point of view they're trying to travel more and more. It's not only limited tri trips per year but more shorter trips so and they want to do so in an environmentally friendly way so ecotourism will continue to grow over the next decades and it will involve smaller natural areas rather than participating in mass tourism but mass tourism will still have a dominant uh, place in the market but it also involves choosing uh, eco ecologically friendlier types of uh, travel, it, trains and bikes over planes and cars. Sure. Uh, ecotourism here is, uh, well, where I live in Colombia, uh, it's, uh, it's taken off quite a bit because we have a lot of natural resources and people like to visit, you know, uh, the, the beaches and the mountains and, and small towns and things like that. It's not... Uh, it's it's something that really drives the local economies as well, so that's good. Um, the the Germans uh, have a word for flight shame. It's uh, Flugscham. I hope I'm saying that right. And and it showcases the guilt that many travelers feel by choosing to fly due to its carbon footprint. So a lot of this ecotourism, uh, as you mentioned, uh, people have to do this uh, in buses a lot of the times, or maybe renting a car, um, and this sort of thing. So. So yeah, uh, definitely ecotourism, I, I think, is going to continue to grow, uh, not just where I live, but, but hopefully all, all around the world. Yeah, yeah. It, well, uh, the, for example, bike tourism, which is really eco-taking a major role in the European market. There, there are a lot of routes, well-organized routes, uh, along uh, very interesting roads and routes. So one that passes near my town is, uh, I think it's route number nine, going down the Danube. So it's really uh, interesting uh, tour as a, for sightseeing and there are a lot of things to do along the route. And there's almost not a day that passed that, that, pass that some bike groups are not passing through my city. But that was before the pandemic, so at this moment it's uh, on the downside, but we'll see how it shapes up. I'm sure it will bounce back right after. Uh, ecotourism is not only touching on our environmental uh, issues, but it's also uh, touching the social economic issues. Uh, the travelers more and more want to benefit local stores by purchasing from there, then instead from chain hotel gift hotel chain gift shops and they want to visit untouched wildlife populations and agriculture as well sure yeah another aspect that's shaping tourism is switching from visiting to doing so airbnb is supporting locals by allowing them to promote experiences where tourists can learn a regional skill for instance uh, i went to argentina a couple of years back and took a class on how to make an asal through an airbnb experiences uh, that was really nice. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's one way that uh, that uh, tourism is is changing. Yeah, uh, there's also um, at least we call it village tourism, where you can go and help 
picking fruits or vegetables and making uh, something out of them and then at the end of the day you pay and take what you labored for but people are understanding it's benefiting the local community and they know they're eating healthy food that they helped produce so it's real benefit for it's a win-win situation and also volunteering uh, is uh, growing every year it's for going from football coaching in South Africa, America's poor neighborhoods to fruit picking in Australia, rehabilitating orphan monkeys in South Africa, uh, protecting coral reefs in Belize, or even volunteering on Olympic Games. There are so many volunteering opportunities worldwide, and travelers for with a tight budget are really uh, loving that. Yeah, I love how tourism has changed. When I was a kid. Uh, it was about uh, going to Disney World. You know, that was uh, pretty much a tourism mentor, <laughs> yeah. visiting your grandparents in another country or something like that. But now uh, it's, it's more about like exploration. And it doesn't necessarily have to be fancy. It's just something that is different than what it is that you're used to. So hopefully when this whole thing is over, because it will be over eventually, uh, someday people will be able to go out and explore once again and, and visit nature and go to small villages and towns and, and, you know, get involved with the people and people won't be scared to uh, not, uh, you know, not become close with others and maybe share experiences and, and these sort of things. So, yeah, I, I really look forward to that. Me too. Uh, so, to, you know, to everybody who's listened to today's episode, you know, we want to thank you for listening. Uh, remember that we offer all the language services you might need as a traveler or as a tourism company in over 100 languages. Um, we hope that once this whole uh, global pandemic is over, uh, you can consider us so that way we can work with you and help you grow your business and, and reactivate it to where it needs to be. Um, whether it's from transcreation of tourism marketing collateral to translating your documents to volunteer abroad, from tour guide interpreting to linguistic coding, you can go on datetranslations.com to learn more. Uh, big thanks to you, Nemanja, and uh, I really appreciate you coming in and you know, teaching us about linguistic coding and a little bit about the tourism industry and how languages and uh, how language services apply to them. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jacob, for coming to me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Our program was produced today by Maria Di Lorenzo, myself, Diego Mejia. Our website, daytranslations.com forward slash daycast, where you can listen to an archive of all of our daycast podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, and Anchor.fm. Daycast is made possible by the friendly folks at Day Translations and Day Interpreting. Professional language solutions for you and your business. Thanks a lot. See you guys next time.